Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Chapter 6, Illusion Reason dissipates the illusions and visionary interpretations of things in which the imagination runs riot. Dr. Caird The first power that meets us at the threshold of soul's dominion is the power of imagination. It is the plastic and creative power of the mind. Man is conscious of being able to receive ideas and to put them into forms. He lives not entirely in the objective world, but possesses an interior world of his own. It is in his power to be the sole autocrat in that world, the master of its creations and lord over all it contains. He may govern there by the supreme power of his will, and if ideas intrude, which have no legitimate right to exist in it, it is in his power either to drive them away or suffer them to remain and to grow. His reason is the supreme ruler in that world. Its ministers are the emotions. If man's reason, misled by the treacherous advice of the emotions, suffers evil ideas to grow, they may become powerful and dethrone reason unless it employs the will to suppress them. This interior world, like the outer world, is a world of its own. It is sometimes dark, sometimes illuminated. Its space and the things it contains are as real to its inhabitants as the physical world is real to the physical senses. Its horizon may be either narrow or expanded, limited in some and without limits in others. It has its beautiful scenery and its dismal localities, its sunshine and storms, its forms of beauty and horrible shapes. It is the privilege of intellectual man to retire to that world whenever he chooses. Physical enemies do not persecute him there. Bodily pain cannot enter. The vexations of material life remain behind, but the emotions enter with him. This interior realm of the soul is the temple of man, wherein we should shut ourselves and lock the door against the intrusion of sensual impressions if we desire to pray. On the entrance of that temple are the dwellers of the threshold, our desires and passions, which are our own creations, and which must be conquered before we can enter. Within that temple exists a world as big and as illimitable as the external unbounded universe, the forms of which we see with our physical eyes. This inner world is filled with the products of man's own creation, some of them inactive, 
but others have become active and living entities, which may assume dominion and, by growing into power, dethrone the real king, reason. In this inner realm, each man is, or ought to be, the god whose spirit floats over the waters of the deep, and whose fiat calls into existence only that which is useful and good. The more this inner individual god will be in harmony with the god of the universe, the more will the two become one, and the greater will be the perfection of the inner world over the happiness of the individual. Only when man has found himself in that inner world will he begin a life which must necessarily be immortal, because it is free from change, and having become his own master, he can belong to nobody but himself, not to his lower, but to his highest self, which is one with the eternal Christ, or the Mahatma of the universe. In that interior world is the battleground of the gods. There the gods of love and hate, the daemons of lust and pride and anger, the devils of malice, cruelty, and revenge, vanity, envy, and jealousy may hold high carnival. They may stir up the emotions and, unless subdued by reason, they may grow strong enough to dethrone it. Reason rests upon truth. Wherever truth is disregarded, illusions appear. If we lose sight of the highest, the lower will appear to be the highest, and an illusion will be created. One is the number of truth. Six is the number of illusion because the six have no existence without the seventh. They are the visible products of the one, manifesting itself as six around an invisible center. Wherever they are six, there must be the seventh, although the presence of the latter may not be manifest. One is the number of life, and six the number of shadows from which life has departed. Forms without life are elusive, and he who mistakes the form for the life or principle of which it is an expression is haunted by an illusion. Forms perish, but the principle that causes their existence remains. The object of forms is to represent principles, and as long as a form is known to be a true representation of the principle, the principle gives it life. But if a form is made to serve another principle than the one which called it into existence, degradation and death will be the final result. The irrational forms produced by nature are perfect expressions of the principles they are intended to represent. Rational beings only are the dissemblers. Each animal is a true expression of the character represented by its form. Only at the point where intellectuality begins deception commences. Each animal form is a symbol of the mental state which characterizes its soul, because it is not itself the arbitrary originator of its form, but rational man has it in his power to create, and if he prostitutes one principle in a form for another, the form will gradually adopt that shape which characterizes the prostituted principle of which, in the course of time, it becomes a true expression. Therefore, we find that a man of noble appearance, by becoming a miser, gradually adopts the sneaking look and stealthy gait of an animal going in search of its prey. The lascivious may acquire the habits, and perhaps the appearance of a monkey or a goat. 
the sly one, the features of a fox, and the conceited, the looks of a donkey. If our bodies were formed of a more ethereal and plastic material than of muscle and bones, each change of our character would produce quickly a corresponding change of our form. But gross matter is inert, and follows only slowly the impressions made upon the soul. For this reason, the deduction of phrenology, physiognomy, etc., however much truth they may contain, cannot convey absolute truth. The material of which astral forms and souls are made are more plastic, and the soul of a villainous person may actually resemble a pool filled with vipers and scorpions, the true symbol of his moral characteristics mirrored in his mind. A generation of saints would, in the course of time, produce a nation of Apollos and Dianas. A generation of villains would grow into monsters and dwarfs. <laughs> to keep the form in its original beauty, the principle must be kept pure and without any adulteration. One fundamental color of the solar spectrum, if unmixed, is as pure as another. One element, if free from another, is pure. Unmixed copper is as pure as unalloyed gold, and emotions are pure if free from extraneous mixing. Forms are pure if they represent their principles in their purity. A villain who shows himself what he is, is pure and true. A saint who dissembles is impure and false. Fashions are the external expressions of the mental states of a country, and if men and women degenerate in their character, their fashions will become absurd. The want of power to discriminate between the true and the elusive, between the form and the principle, and the consequent error of apprehending the low for the high is the cause of suffering. Man's material interests are frequently considered to be of supreme importance, and the interests of the highest elements in his constitution are forgotten. The power that should be expanded to feed the high is eaten up by the low. Instead of the low serving the high, the high is made to serve the low, and instead of the form being used as an instrument of action for the principle, the principle is made to wait until the claims of the form are attended to. In other words, a low principle is substituted for a higher one. Such a prostitution of principle in favor of form is found in all spheres of social life. We find it among the rich and the poor, the educated and the ignorant, in the forum, the press, and the pulpit, no less than in the halls of the merchant and in the daily transactions of life. The prostitution of principle is worse than the prostitution of the body, and he who uses his intellectual powers for selfish and villainous purposes is more to be pitied than she who carries on a trade with her bodily charms to gain the means by which she may keep that body alive. The prostitution of universal human rights for the benefit of a few individuals is the most dangerous form of prostitution on earth. The difference between vulgar prostitution of the body and the more refined prostitution of the intellectual faculties for the purpose of accomplishing selfish ends is merely that in the first class, merely the grossest parts of the human organization are misused, while in the other class the higher and more permanent parts are misused. The consequences of the latter kind must therefore be much more lasting than those of the former. 
There are few women in the world who have become degraded from an inclination to be so. In the great majority of cases, they are the victims of circumstances which they had not the power to resist. But intellectual villains usually belong to the higher classes where want and poverty are unknown. To employ the intellectual powers for the mere purpose of making money is the beginning of intellectual prostitution. Blessed are they who are able to gain their bread by the honest work of their hands, for an employment which requires little intellectual attention will leave them free to employ their mental powers for the purpose of spiritual meditation and unfoldment. While those who spend all their mental energy upon the lower planes are selling their immortal birthright for a worthless mess of pottage, which may nourish the body while it starves the soul. The greatest of all illusions is the illusion of the self. Material man looks upon himself as something existing apart from every other existence. The shape of his form creates the illusion of being an independent, substantial whole, and the changes in that form take place so slow and imperceptible that the error is not perceived. Still, there is not a single element in his body in the constitution of his soul or in the mechanism of his intellect that is not continually departing and is replaced by others from the universal fountain of life. What belongs to him today belonged yesterday to another and may belong to another tomorrow. In his physical form there is a continual change. In the bodies of organized beings, tissues disappear slowly or quickly, according to the nature of their affinities, and new ones take their places, to be replaced in turn by others. The human body changes in size, shape, and density as age advances, presenting successively the symbols of the buoyant health of youth, the vigorous constitution of manhood, or the grace and beauty of womanhood, up to the attributes indicating old age the forerunner of decay and cessation of activity in that individual form. No less is the change in the soul. Sensation and desires change, consciousness changes, memories grow dim, no man has the same opinions he had when he was a child. Knowledge increases, intellect grows weak, and on the mental as well as on the physical plane the special activity ceases when the accumulated energy is exhausted by transformation into other modes of action or is transferred in other forms. The lower material elements in the constitution of man change rapidly, the higher ones change slowly, but only the highest elements are enduring. Nothing can be said to belong essentially to man but the character of his sixth principle in its union with the seventh. He who cares a great deal for his lower principles cares for things that are not his own, but which he has only borrowed from nature. While he enjoys their possession, an illusion is created, making them appear to be an essential part of himself, and his imagination revels in their fancied possession. They are, however, not more an essential part of himself than the clothes which a man wears, a constituent part of the man. His only true self is his character, and he who loses the strength of his character loses all his possessions. One of the kings of illusions is money, the king of the world. Money represents the principle of equity, and it should be employed to enable everyone to obtain the just equivalent for his labor.
If we desire more money than we can rightfully claim, we wish for something that does not belong to us but to another, and we repulse the divine principle of truth. If we obtain labor without paying for it its proper equivalent, we deprive others of justice, and therefore deprive ourselves of the principle of truth, which is a more serious loss to ourselves than the loss of money to the defrauded. Money, as such, is an illusion. Only the principle of justice, which it represents, has a real existence. Nevertheless, we see the world lie at the feet of the form. The poor clamor for it, and the rich crave for more. And the general desire is to obtain the greatest amount of reward by giving the least possible equivalent. There are priests who save souls and doctors who cure bodies for money. Law is sold to him who is able and willing to pay. Fame and reputation and the semblance of love can be obtained for money, and the worth of a man is expressed in the sum of shillings or pounds which he may call his own. Starvation threatens the poor, and the consequence of superabundance the rich, and some of the rich take advantage of the distress of the poor to enrich themselves more. Science exerts her powers to increase the amount of the material comforts of man. It vanquishes the impediments presented by time and space and turns night into day. New engines are invented, and the work whose performance in former times required the use of a thousand arms may now be accomplished by a child. An immense amount of personal suffering and labor is thereby saved. But as the means to satisfy the craving for comfort increase, a craving arises for more. Things that formerly were considered luxuries now become indispensable needs. Illusions create illusions, and desires give rise to desires. The sight of the principle is lost, and the golden calf is put in its place. Production is followed by overproduction. The supply exceeds the demand. The price of labor comes down to starvation rates. And on the rotten soil, the mushrooms of monopoly grow. The more the facilities increase to sustain the battle of life, the more increases its fury. The noblest power of man, his intellect, whose destiny it is to form a solid basis for the highest spiritual aspirations of man, is forced to labor for the satisfaction of the animal instincts of man. The body flourishes, and the spirit starves, and becomes a beggar in the kingdom of truth. From the love of self arises the love of possession. It is the hydra-headed monster whose cravings can never be stilled. Nearest to the illusion of self stands the illusion of love. True love is not an illusion. It is the power that unites the world and an attribute of the spirit. But the illusion of love is not love, but only love's shadow. True love seeks only for the happiness of the object it loves, but animal love cares for itself and seeks only enjoyment. True love exists even if the form is dissolved. False love dies when the form to which it was attached decays. Ideal woman is the crown of creation and has a right to be loved by man. A male being who does not love the character of a woman bears only the resemblance of a man, and man is not a complete being unless he possesses woman's love. 
A man who does not love beauty has no element of beauty in him. But the man who only fancies women's attractions, and not the woman herself, is repulsed by her. If only his instincts attract him to her, she sees his weakness and is repulsed by it. She may be rendered vain enough by the possession of such charms as to enjoy the victory gained by them over a fool, but an intelligent woman looks upon such a victim as an object of pity and commiseration, and not as a source of strength. Man loves beauty, and woman loves strength. A man who is the slave of his desires is weak, and cannot command the respect of a woman he professes to love. If she sees him squirm under the lash of his animal instincts, she will not be able to look upon him as her protector and god. Man represents reason, and woman represents will. If the will is in harmony with reason, it will be as one. If they act against each other, illusions come into existence. Another illusion is the craving for physical life, and well may he crave for it who has no character of his own, because having lost his character, if he loses his life, he loses his all. Men and women cling to the illusion of life, because they do not know what life is. They will submit to indignity, dishonor, and suffering rather than die. Life is a means to an end, and as such it is valuable. But why should life be so desirable as to sacrifice character for it? One life is only one temporary condition among a thousand similar ones through which the character of a man passes in its travels on the road to perfection, and whether he remains a longer or a shorter interval at one station cannot be of any very serious importance to him. Man can make no better use of his life than to sacrifice it, if necessary, for the welfare of others, because this act will strengthen his own character, in which rests the source of his life, and the power by which he is enabled to reappear in a new form. On the other hand, he who sneaks away from the battle of life for selfish purposes, or because he is afraid to continue its struggles, will not escape. He may wish to step out of life and destroy his body, but the law cannot be cheated. Life will remain with him until his natural days have ended. He cannot destroy it. He can only deprive himself of the instrument through which he can act. He resembles a man who has to perform some work and throws away the instrument which would have enabled him to perform it. Vain will be his regrets." But if, in the cases of sane suicides, the illusion called life continues after the death of the physical body and the consciousness remains in the astral form, then a serious question arises in regard to the disposal of the bodies of such unfortunate persons. For wherever consciousness exists, there must be sensation, and as in such instances as magnetic connection is said to continue to exist between the astral man and his corpse, it appears not impossible that the post-mortem communications of suicides are true, and that injuries inflicted upon the body may, under certain conditions, be felt very acutely by the disembodied man. Another illusion is a great deal of what is called science. True knowledge makes a man free, but false science renders him a slave to the opinions of others. 
Many men waste their lives to learn that which is foolish and neglect that which is true, mistaking that which is evanescent and perishing for the eternal. Nor is their desire for learning usually caused by a desire to learn the truth, else they would not reject the truth when they see it. In the majority of cases, learning is not the aim, but the means to the aim of the student, while his real objects are the attainment of wealth, position, and fame, or the gratification of curiosity. The true wealth of a nation or a man does not rest in intellectual requirements, but in spiritual possessions, which alone will remain permanent. There is nothing more productive of a tendency to the development of an extreme degree of selfishness than the development of a high degree of intellectuality, without any accompanying growth of spirituality. Whoever doubts this assertion, let him observe the petty jealousies everywhere prevailing among the learned professions. Moreover, a high degree of intellectuality enables a person to take personal advantages over others who are less learned, and unless he possesses great moral powers, he may not be able to resist the temptations that are put in his way. The greatest villains and criminals have been persons of great intellectual qualifications. A development of the intellect is necessary to understand spiritual truths after they are once perceived, but they cannot be perceived by the intellect without spirituality. They can only be perceived by the power of the spirit. The development of spiritual powers of perception is, therefore, of supreme importance. That of the intellect comes next. Blessed is he whom the truth teaches, not by perishable emblems and words, but by its own inherent power, not what it appears to be, but as it is. Thomas de Kempis The love of power and fame are other illusions. True power is an attribute of the spirit. If I am obeyed because I am rich, it is not myself who commands obedience, but my riches. If I am called powerful because I enjoy authority, it is not myself who is powerful, but it is the authority vested in me. Riches and authority are halos thrown around men, which often vanish as quickly as they have been acquired. Fame is often enjoyed by him who does not deserve it, and the most honored man is he who has cause to respect himself on account of his acts. Place of birth and condition of life are circumstances which are usually not matters of choice, and no one has a right to despise another on account of his nationality, religious belief, color of skin, or the act he may play on this planet. Conditions are illusions caused by the consequences of other illusions. They do not belong to the essential character of man. Whether an actor plays the part of a king or a servant, the actor is, therefore, not despised, provided he plays his part well. There are other illusions which come without being asked and remain, although their stay is not wanted. They are the unwelcome visitors' fear, doubt, and remorse. And they, like all other illusions, are caused by ignorance of the true nature of man and the extent of his powers. Men sometimes live in fear of a revengeful power which has no existence, and may die from fear of an evil that does not exist. They are often afraid of the effects of causes which they, nevertheless, continue to create. 
They may doubt whether they will succeed in cheating the law, not knowing that the real man is himself the law and cannot be cheated. Every acts creates a cause, and the cause is followed by an effect which reacts on him who created the cause, whether he may experience that effect in this life or in another. To escape the effect of the cause which has been created, he who created the cause must try to transform himself into another man. If his lower principles have led him to mistakes, they will suffer. But if he succeeds in assimilating his nature with his higher principles and thereby changes himself into a being of a different character, their suffering will not be of the greatest importance to him. Such is the only rational philosophy of the forgiveness of sins. And priests could forgive sins if they were able to change the sinner into a saint. This can, however, only be done by the individual exertions of the sinner, who may be instructed by one who is wise. To become sufficiently wise to instruct another about the laws or his nature, it is of the utmost importance that the instructor should know these laws and be acquainted with the true constitution of man. Reason is the savior of man. Ignorance is his death, and unreason his suffering. Reason is the power of the mind to recognize the truth, and in the light of truth the shadows of doubt and fear and remorse cannot exist. Illusions are dispersed by reason through the power of the will. When the will is held in abeyance, the imagination is rendered passive, and the mind takes in the reflections of pictures stored up in the astral light without choice or discrimination. When reason does not guide the imagination, the mind creates disorderly fancies and hallucinations. The passive seer dreams while awake and may mistake his dreams for realities, but his dreams may be his own creations, or they may be impressions caused by floating ideas taking possession of the unresisting mind, and according to the source from which such impressions come, they may be either true or false. Various means have been adopted to suspend the discriminating power of the will and render the imagination abnormally passive, and all such practices are injurious in proportion as they are efficacious. And now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. The ancient Pythoness attempted to heighten her already abnormal receptivity by the inhalation of noxious vapors. Savage and semi-civilized people sometimes use poisons or whirl in a dance until the action of reason is temporarily suspended. Others use opium, Indian hemp, and other narcotics which not only suspend their will and render their mind a blank, but which also excite the brain and induce morbid fancies and illusions. Note, the fumigations which were used at former times for the purpose of rendering reason inactive and allowing the products of a passive imagination to appear in an objective state were usually narcotic substances. Blood was only used for the purpose of furnishing substance to elementals and elementaries, by the aid of which they might render their bodies more dense and visible. Cornelius Agrippa gives the following prescription. Make a powder of spermaceti, aloe wood, musk, saffron, and thyme. Sprinkle it with the blood of a hoopop. If this powder is burnt upon the graves of the dead, the ethereal forms of the latter will approach and may become visible. Eckhartshausen made successful experiments with the following prescription. Mix powdered frankincense and flour with an egg. Add milk, honey, and rose water. Make a paste and throw some of it upon burning coals. Another prescription given by the same author consists of hemlock, saffron, aloes, opium, mandragora, henbane, poppy flowers, and some other poisonous plants. After undergoing a certain preparation which he describes, he attempted the experiment and saw the ghost of the person which he desired to see. But he came very near poisoning himself. Dr. Hurst repeated the experiment with the same result, and for years afterwards, whenever he looked upon a dark object, he saw the apparition again. Chemistry has advanced since that time, and those who desire to make such experiments at the risk of their health may now accomplish this in a more comfortable and easy manner by inhaling some of the stupefying gases known to chemical science. Fortune tellers and clairvoyants employ various means to fix their attention, to suspend thought and render their minds passive, and the images which they receive may be true or false. Others stare at mirrors or crystals, water or ink. But the adept, while not forsaking the use of his reason, renders his imagination passive by maintaining under all circumstances a serene tranquility of the mind. Note, there are numerous prescriptions for the preparation of magic mirrors, but the best magic mirror will be useless to him who is not able to see clairvoyantly. While the natural clairvoyant may call that faculty into action by concentrating his mind on any particular spot, a glass of water, ink, or a crystal, or anything else. For it is not in the mirror where such things are seen, but in the mind. The mirror merely serves to assist in the entering of that mental state which is necessary to produce clairvoyant sight. The best of all magic mirrors is the soul of man and it should always be kept pure.
and be protected against dust and dampness and rust, so that it may not become tarnished and remain perfectly clear and able to reflect the light of the Divine Spirit in its original purity. The surface of a lake whose water is in motion reflects only distorted reproductions of images projected upon it, and if the elements in the interior world are in a state of confusion, if emotion fights with emotion and the uproar of the passions troubles the mind, if the heaven of the soul is clouded by prejudices, darkened by ignorance, hallucinated by insane desires, the true images of things seen will be equally distorted." The divine principle in man remains in itself unaltered and undisturbed, like the image of a star reflected in water. But unless its dwelling is rendered clear and transparent, it cannot send its rays through the surrounding walls. The more the emotions rage, the more will the mind become disturbed, and the spirit be forced to retreat into its interior prison. Or if it loses entirely its hold over the mind, it may be driven away by the forces which it cannot control, burst the door of its dungeon, return to the source from whence it came, and leave man behind as a living corpse, a maniac, in which the spiritual principle is entirely inactive. If a person suffers his reason to give up the control over his imagination, he surrenders one of the greatest prerogatives of man and exposes himself to danger. In the normal condition, reason guides the imagination to a certain extent. In abnormal conditions, the will of another may take its place, or it may roam without being guided, influenced only by previously existing conditions. A person who dreams does not control the actions which he performs in his dream, although he may dream that he is exercising his will. The things seen in his dream are to him realities, and he does not doubt their substantiality. While external physical objects have no existence for him, and not even the possibility of their existence comes to his consciousness, he may see before him a ditch and dream that he wills to jump over it, but he does not actually exert his will. He only follows the impulses created during his waking condition. A person in a trance may be so much under the influence of a magnetizer as to have no active will of his own, and be only led by the imagination of the operator. The avenues of his external senses are closed, and he lives entirely in the subjective world, in which material objects can find no place, and in which such objects could by no means be introduced. Still, what he sees is real to him, and if the operator creates a precipice in his imagination, perhaps represented by a chalk mark on the floor, to assist the imagination of the operator, the subject will, on approaching it, experience and manifest the same terror as he would in his normal state if a precipice were yawning under his feet, and if the operator should have the cruelty to will the entranced to jump over its edge, the most serious consequences to the individual might follow. A glass of water transformed into imaginary wine by the will of a mesmerizer may make the subject intoxicated. And if that water has been transformed into imaginary poison, it may injure or kill the sensitive. 
a powerful mesmerizer can form either a beautiful or a horrible picture in his mind, and by transferring it by his will upon the mental sphere of a sensitive, he may cause him, even if the latter is in his normal condition, either pleasure or suffering, while the mental images so created in the mind of the sensitive may again react upon others and be perceived by them. If a person is en rapport with a magnetized object, the image, or even a thought, existing in the mind of the former, is immediately accepted as a reality by the latter. Such states may be induced not merely during the magnetic sleep, but also during the normal condition and without any active desire on the part of the magnetizer. If the audience sheds tears during the performance of a tragedy, although they all know that it is merely a play, they are in a state of partial magnetization. Hundreds of similar occurrences take place every day, and there is sufficient material everywhere in everyday life for the student of psychology to investigate and explain without seeking for cases of an abnormal character. If a medium submits the control over his imagination to another being, he becomes his servant. This other being may be another person, or it may be an idea, an emotion, a passion, and the effect on the passive medium will be proportionate to the intensity of the action manifested by them. It may be an elemental, or an astral corpse, or a malicious influence, and the medium may become an epileptic, a maniac, or a criminal. A person who surrenders the control over his imagination indiscriminately to every unknown power is not less insane than he who would entrust his money and valuables to the first unknown stranger or vagabond that would ask him to do it. Mediumship is nothing else but a process of transfer of thought and differs from an ordinary magnetic experiment only insofar as in the latter the operator is a visible person, while in the former the influence proceeds from an invisible source, and is the more dangerous because being invisible it is not known from whence it proceeds. If a magnetizer commands his subject to commit a murder, the latter may commit it, even after he has awakened from his sleep. In such a case, the operator is the murderer, and the subject merely the instrument. How many murders and crimes are committed every year through sensitive persons who have been influenced or mesmerized by visible persons or invisible thoughts to commit them, and who had not sufficient willpower to resist, it is impossible to determine. In such cases, we hang or punish the instrument, but the real culprit escapes, such a justice is equivalent to punishing a stick with which a murder has been committed, and to let the man who used the stick go free. Verily, the coming generations will have as much cause to laugh at the ignorance of their ancestors as we now laugh at the ignorance of those who preceded us. The state of the imagination is a great factor in the observation and appreciation of things. The savage may see in the sculpted Minerva only a curious piece of rock, and a beautiful painting may be to him only a piece of cloth daubed over with colors. The greedy miser, on looking at the beauties of nature, thinks only of the money value they represent, while for the poet the forest swarms with fairies, and the water with sprites. The artist finds beautiful forms in the wandering clouds and in the projecting rocks and the mountains, 
And to him whose mind is poetic, every symbol in nature becomes a poem and suggests to him new ideas. But the coward wanders through life with a scowl upon his face. He sees in every corner an enemy, and for him the world has nothing attractive except his own little self. The man who cannot be trusted is ever mistrustful. The thief fears to be robbed, and the backbiter is extremely sensitive to the gossip of others. Yep. The cause of this is evidently that each man perceives only those elements which exist in his own mind, and if any foreign element enters, it is immediately tinctured and colored by the former. The world is a mirror, wherein every man may see his own face. To him whose soul is beautiful, the world will look beautiful. To him whose soul is deformed, everything will seem to be evil. The impressions made on the mind by the effects of the imagination may be powerful in lasting upon the person. They may change or distort the features. They may render the hair white in a single hour. They may mark, kill, disfigure, or break the bones of the unborn child and make the effects of injuries received by one person visible upon the body of another with whom that person is in sympathy. They may act more powerfully than drugs. They cause and cure diseases, induce visions and hallucinations, and may produce stigmata in so-called saints. Imagination performs its miracles, either consciously or unconsciously, in all departments of nature. By altering the surroundings of animals at such times, their color can be changed at will. The tiger's stripes are said to correspond with the long jungle grass, and the leopard's spots resemble the speckled light falling through the leaves. The forces of nature influenced by the imagination of man act on the imagination of nature and create tendencies on the astral plane, which, in the course of evolution, find expression through material forms. In this way, man's vices or virtues become objective realities, and as man's mind becomes purified, the earth becomes more beautiful and refined, while his vices find their expression in poisonous reptiles and noxious plants. The soul of the world has its animal elementary existences corresponding to those existing in the animal soul of man. Either are the products of thought evolution. The elementals in the soul of man are the products of the action of the thought in the individual mind of man. The elemental forms in the soul of the world are the products of the collective thoughts of all beings. Animal elementary powers are attracted to the germs of animals and grow into objective, visible animal form, and modify the characters, and also the outward appearance, of the animals of our globe. We therefore see that as the imagination of the universal mind changes during the course of ages, old forms disappear and new ones come into existence. Perhaps if there were no snakes in human forms, the snakes of the animal kingdom would cease to exist. <laughs> But the impressions made on the mind do not end with the life of the individual on the physical plane. A cause which produces a sudden terror 
or otherwise acts strongly on the imagination, may produce an impression that not only lasts through life but beyond it. A person, for instance, who during his life has strongly believed in the existence of eternal damnation and hellfire, may, at his entrance into the subjective state after death, actually behold all the terrors of hell, which his imagination during life has conjured up. There may have been no premature burial. The physical body may have been actually dead, but the terrified soul, seeing before it all the horrors of its own vivid imagination, rushes back again into the deserted body and clings to it in despair, seeking protection. Personal consciousness returns, and it finds itself alive in the grave, where it may pass a second time through the pangs of death, or by sending out its astral form in search of sustenance from the living, it may become a vampire and prolong for a while its horrible existence. Such misfortunes are by no means rare, and the best remedy for it is knowledge or the cremation of the body soon after death. In the state after death, the imagination neither creates new and original forms, nor is it capable of receiving new impressions. But it, so to say, lives on the sum of the impressions accumulated during life, which may evolute innumerable variations of mental estates, symbolized in their corresponding subjective forms, and lasting a longer or shorter period until their forces are exhausted. These mental states may be called elusive in the same sense as the forms and events of the physical life may be called elusive, and life in heaven or hell may be called a dream, in the same sense as life on the earth is called a dream. The dream of life only differs from the dream after death that during the former we are able to make use of our will to guide and control our imagination and acts while during the latter that guidance is wanting, and we earn that which we have sown, whether it is pleasant or not. No effort, whether for good or for evil, is ever lost. Those who have reached out in their imagination towards a high ideal on earth will find it in heaven. Those whose desires have dragged them down will sink to the level of their desires. It is said that the most material and sensual thoughts create forms in the subjective condition which will appear to him who created them after he enters that sphere. Even more gross, dense, and material than the material forms of the terrestrial world. Nor does this seem incomprehensible if we remember that everything is composed of thought substance, and that the terms density, materiality, etc. are merely relative terms. What appear to us dense and material now may appear ethereal or vaporous if we are in another state, and things which are invisible to us now may appear grossly material then. A due consideration of the relations existing between consciousness and what we call matter will make it appear that there may be worlds more dense and material to its inhabitants than our physical world is to us, for it is the light of the spirit that enlivens matter. And the more matter is attracted by sensuality and concentrated by selfishness, the less penetrable to the spirit will it become, and the more dense and hard will it grow, although it may for all that not be perceptible to our physical senses, the latter being adapted merely to our present state of existence. 
we should enter the higher life now, instead of waiting for it to come to us in the hereafter. The term heaven means a state of spiritual consciousness and enjoyment of spiritual truths. But how can he who has evolved no such consciousness and no spiritual power of perception enjoy the perception of things which he has not the power to perceive? A man without that faculty entering heaven would be like a man blind and deaf and without the power to feel. Man can only enjoy that which he is able to realize. That which he cannot perceive does not exist for him. The surest way to be happy is to rise above all selfish considerations. People crave for amusement and pastimes, but to forget one's time is to forget oneself, and by forgetting themselves they are rendered glad. People are rendered temporarily happy by illusions, because while they enjoy an illusion, they forget their own personal selves. The charm of music consists in the temporary absorption it causes to the personality in the harmony of sound. If we witness a theatrical performance and enter into the spirit of the play, we forget our personal sorrows and live, so to say, in the personality of the actor. The actor who understands how to absorb our attention absorbs our personal consciousness and becomes inspired by our own enthusiasm. An actor from whom the sympathy of the audience is withheld will find it difficult to play his part well. An orator who is in full accord with his audience becomes inspired with the sentiments of his audience. It is his audience that gives expression of his feelings through him. While he speaks, he may forget the part he has intended to speak and give expression to that which his audience feels. Without being aware of it, we actually live and feel and think within each other. If we enter a cathedral or a temple whose architecture inspires sublimity and solemnity, expanding the soul, where the language of music speaks to the heart, drawing it away from the attachment to the earth, if the beauty and odor of flowers lull the senses into forgetfulness of self, such illusions may render us temporarily happy to an extent proportionate to the degree in which they succeed in destroying our consciousness of personality and self, and as such they are immeasurably better than other illusions that appeal to the lower personal self. But if we seek for the truth in the outward expression of a form— Instead of looking for it in the principle which the form is to represent, we will be led into darkness instead of being led into light. For this reason, the belief in external gods strengthens the illusions of self. They induce men to become cowards, to ask for favors which they do not deserve, in preference to other men that deserve them. They help to establish the autocracy of priests and to put the false priest upon a throne from which the true God has been excluded. Such misconceptions destroy the dignity of mankind, and a religious system based upon such practices degrades men instead of elevating their character. He who has grown to live above the illusion of form and recognizes the existence of the true God in his heart needs no illusions to guide his attention. He carries the temple of the eternal God in his own soul and worships it without ceremonies and rites by perpetual adoration. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. 
With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. HermeticScienceEnterprises.co.uk